Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Blackwood Show. The Black, the Black, the Black, Black. Welcome to the Blackwood Show. I'm Taylor Blackwood and this is my show. Today we are doing a Talking Toys. I've only done one of these so far. It was about a watch, about a Patek Philippe. This episode is also going to be about a watch. What do you know? So uh, this one's going to be about Richard Mille though. Richard Mille is one of my favorite brands. I don't own one. Uh, They're incredibly expensive and it's kind of one of those aspirational pieces for me. You know that if I ever, I don't know, took a company public or hit it big or something like that. My lottery tickets finally scratch off. <laughs> no. But if I, you know, ever ever had uh, something big to celebrate like that, maybe a Richard Mille would be in my future. So I'm a huge fan of what they do, the innovations, the way they've changed the watch industry. It's really crazy. So I'm going to unpack a little bit about the brand because I've never spoken about them on this podcast. And in particular today, we're talking about a new chronograph that they just announced, the 7201-01. So 7201. Uh, And they use reference numbers is what that 72-01 means. So the 72 is like the class of watches and the dash 01 means it's the first iteration of them. So a couple of the more popular ones would be like the RM11 was what they used to use for their chronographs. And they had like the 11-01, then they had the 11-02 all the way up to 11-05. So that's kind of the way their nomenclature works. This is the first of the 72. So although it is a chronograph, it is their first in-house chronograph, meaning that instead of using an outside producer for their movements, they're actually making this movement for this watch in-house. I'm going to explain why that's significant and a major leap for Richard Mille, as well as cover the watch itself. It's a really unique watch. It's gorgeous. It's been announced in rose gold. They do do a lot of rose gold on their watches. Normally, that's not how they showcase it on their website, front and center. Normally, it's like titanium or another one of their high-tech materials that they're known for. Uh, but this one was announced in rose gold. They're kind of branding it as a lifestyle uh, flyback chronograph. And it's really, really unique. The face of it's really cool. Uh, I'm actually posting a picture of it on my uh, uh, Instagram. So if you're curious about the watch, you either Google Richard Meal 72-01, or you can go to my Instagram if you just want to see a picture of it. And uh, I kind of see what I'm talking about while I'm, uh, while I'm chatting at you on the podcast you're about. So without further ado, let's jump into Talking Toys and talk about the Richard Meal 72-01. So first things first, Richard Mille is a brand, one of my favorite brands. They're very unique. They're known for making very high-tech watches. If you're not familiar, their watches are striking. They, and they started in, uh, well, they're founded in 99, but really started in 2001 is when they announced their first watch at Art Basel. And it was super forward thinking. I mean, now we're kind of used to outrageous designs, but back when they first pushed this, the watch was very unique. You know, they're known for doing skeletonized watches, first of all, which I think is so cool. Uh, I talk extensively about why mechanical watches are precious and unique and hard to build and expensive on my other talking toys. So you might reference that if you're not familiar with mechanical watches and why they are all those things. But suffice it to say, Richard Mille is all that on steroids, you know, that their watches are incredibly expensive, but they're also incredibly engineered. They use very precious materials. They do a lot of unique designs that no one else does, and they're very forward thinking with everything they do. They're pushing lots of boundaries that way in terms of high performance materials design that was very risky. The, the, the day they did it was the point I was trying to drive home. Because, uh, you know, you look at most uh, watches, like I described, Patek Philippe is a very traditional watch or Rolex, a very traditional watch. It has the hands and the hour markers. And that's kind of that. Richard Mille really abandoned that and went for skeletonized watches where you can see a lot of the gears and inner workings of the watch, which I think is so cool. 
you know, the reason that you're buying this, this item and spending all this money on is because it has these little gears in it instead of being run on a battery or something like that. So why not expose that? Uh, I personally don't own a skeleton, a skeletonized watch. About half of my watches have like an exhibition back, meaning you can see through the back of the watch if you take it off and look at it. And it's one of my favorite things to do. I just think it's so cool to see the inner workings of a watch. You can see the little movement of the balance wheel going and you can see uh, other little complications. Like when you activate a chronograph, like we're going to talk about, uh, which times things is a complication that times things. So when you activate your chronograph, you can actually see the little gears move. And especially on Richard Mule, that's very pronounced and on the face of the watch because it's skeletonized, meaning the whole watch movement is, is visible through the face of the watch. It's really, really cool. Kind of hard to read. <laughs> they, they can be a little bit illegible, uh, especially to uh, older people. I know like some, some older people who tend to be the ones who can afford these watches more often than not because Richard Mule's rarely have a price tag less than $100,000. You heard that right. Less than a hundred thousand dollars for, or it, they don't have watches for less than a hundred thousand dollars. So, and they literally have watches that are worth multi-millions of dollars, like a Sapphire watch that Jay-Z famously has. It's like all blue and it's worth like 2.6 million or something stupid like that. Anyhow, so they're very expensive, very exclusive. Only the wealthiest of the wealthy rock these watches. It's huge signaling and a huge flex to have one, but they're very complicated and there's a lot of engineering behind them. And the question of are they worth it is a very subjective one, but also a very, a very cool question to unpack. So anyways, getting back to their founding, they were started by Richard Mule, as you might uh have guessed, and then I'm going to butcher this guy's name. I think it's a French guy or something. Dominique Gunat, Gunat, probably is how you say it, but G-U-E-N-A-T. So they're partners. Basically, what happened was Richard Meal was a watchmaker. He worked for some major brands uh, who were eventually acquired by Seiko, which is one of the biggest watchmakers in the world that makes these traditional watches. They have Seiko and then their better line, Grand Seiko, and they're a great company, have a lot of really famous watches. So they bought these brands, apparently rolled it into their bigger brand in 92. Uh, and uh, Mill left, or Richard Mill left then and started working for another jewelry firm developing watches for them. I think the jewelry firm was in the Plaza Vendome, which is like a really famous jewelry um, uh, like plaza in, in Paris in France. And I think they had a presence there, but anyways, he worked there for a while. He, uh, owned some of the company, I think is how they incentivized him to get there. And then he had a disagreement about maybe philosophy or something like that and left. And he went out and he had this friend, good night, <laughs> however you say it. And, uh, they were fast friends. He basically turned to him with his plans to start a company and they started at 50, 50. So even though it's called Richard Mille, he does have a partner, Dominique in the background that, uh, Dominique something in his last name, I don't know how to pronounce it, but Dominique, uh, are the founders of, uh, uh the Richard Mille parent company. So anyways, uh, he famously made this really striking design. You know, he's known for having a very distinctive watch case. Everything about it is done in the most complicated and expensive way possible. So it's a unique shaped case. So you can't use anything standard it has to make the sapphire for the glass, uh, curved and the whole, the whole watch case itself has a gentle curve that matches your wrist. It's high performance. These watches are like ultra light. So even though they're very big and striking in appearance on your wrist and they take up a lot of real estate, they're not heavy. You know, if you put on like a gold Rolex or something like that, it's weighing down your arm. And this, th these watches are bigger on their face and more expansive. Lots more parts and everything are bigger parts than a lot of traditional watches do uh, from the, from the major brands like Rolex and Paddock. But nonetheless, uh, it's still way lighter. And that's because they use high tech materials. Both these guys are huge fans of aerospace, particularly racing. And they're very famous for their partnerships in F1 and things like this. Uh, so, so they really like to use high tech and cutting edge materials and unique materials that no one else use. So 
they actually make their own, you know, their watches are famously titanium. That's kind of like the gray watches you see of Richard Mill and uh, kind of their, a part of their classic designs of the, the Tourbillon design case was like uh, uh, t- traditionally in titanium. They, like I mentioned before, they use rose gold and that's how they uh, announced the 7201 that we're talking about on the podcast today. But they've experimented with a lot of other things, uh, a lot of other materials, I mean to say. So they have some super light materials. Lately, they've been announcing watches in cement which I guess is like an ultra hard material. It actually appears black or brown. You can add some color to it and stuff like that. So they announced it with, um, oh, what is that guy's name? Uh, Pharrell, Pharrell. They did a, a custom watch for Pharrell that was like in his namesake and they announced the Semet or Semet, however you say it, is, and it was brown on his. Well, now they're starting to do it in black on uh, the 1105, the, the most recent iteration of their traditional chronograph line. So really hard, lightweight materials like titanium, uh, cement, whatever that is. Oh, what is the other one called? It might be, is it TPT is the other one? So it's like a, a hybrid, basically a hybrid plastic, but you know, more high tech than that. And very cool looking. You can bleed in different colors and stuff to it. So really, really cool. Um, <laughs> plastic is the cheapest way you could possibly say that. They probably have a much better way of describing it, but it's a, it's a special material that is based in a resin, maybe like a plastic. Uh, and it's very lightweight, very, very strong. Again, so titanium cement, uh, that, uh, um, and then they use rose gold as well as like a precious material, but nonetheless, these, these materials are special, very lightweight, you know, kind of akin to like how they use carbon fiber and these other high tech, you know, titanium, other high tech materials in the cars F1, they're trying to mimic that and bring it into, uh, uh, watch design. So the watch faces are very mechanical. You can see everything. It's very, uh, uh, reminiscent reminiscent of uh, F1 cars and stuff like that, where you can see the inner workings of an engine, you know, you can see the inner workings of these watches. And it's very cool that they took this bold design leap to do these exposed watches in this very unique way and unique shapes. So really proud of them for all that. You know, they went in depth, you know, they designed all these different aspects of their watches. They designed like, for example, they designed a custom screw that's shown on the face of it. It's like this uh, uh, five spoke screw. It almost looks like a rim kind of thing. And, uh, they designed a custom screw, you know, so not only do they have to manufacture the screw rather than just buying like a standard screw, like some of the other major manufacturers might, they have to design all the tools to work the screw. So they have to make custom screwdrivers that only drive that screw. So you can start to see how these expenses would add up very, very quickly. And I think that a a single small screw that goes into one of these watches can be over a hundred dollars, depending on the screw and where it is. So their costs just go through the roof on all these different things. And it's because they're so precious in terms of the material and the, spe- the special design and the limited runs of, of all these watches. So very cool watch, very complex, very expensively made, no expense spared in terms of engineering and everything else. And they have some really cool accomplishments in their lineup. They're really known for protecting their movements in harsh environments. So one requirement that Richard Mield has is that if you're going to be a sponsored like athlete who wears the watches, then you have to actually perform in the watch. So what I mean by that is like, you have to wear the watch while you're doing your sport and expose it to all the, all the forces of that sport. So like an example of that is like guys actually wear these watches in F1 races who have them as their namesake. I think famously was Felipe Massa was one of their first uh, people who took them on and started wearing their watches as a, as a, sponsored athlete and he would actually wear these watches in an f1 race well that's insane because all these little gears in these watches in these mechanical watches that make them tick when they're exposed to the g-forces of an f1 car it's a miracle they don't just shatter and break and and these watches are keep perfect timing and they manage to suspend movements and use complex engineering to protect different parts of those movements to not only keep the watch from breaking but to keep it accurate in these extreme extreme environments so suffice it to say most of us will never 
own a richer meal, let alone own it in a situation where you subject it to that extreme of uh, forces. But it's a really cool thing. It's kind of like how lots of people would buy like a, a deep sea diver's watch or something like that. Like a diver's watch famously from Rolex is, is one of the most famous uh, lineups in their brand. But you're never going to take it down, you know, 100 yards down in the ocean and actually deep sea dive in it. Probably most of us won't uh, who, who could own one of those watches. But nonetheless, it's just a cool factor. That's the engineering that you're walking around with on your wrist. Well, Richard Mille does that. I mean, like Bubba Watson wears it while he golfs. Well, imagine the G-forces of every time he hits his driver, which he's known for like long drives, the shock that goes through his wrist and therefore through the watch is immense. So it's crazy that they are able to protect their movements and, and put them in such high performance environments and not have them just shatter and break, let alone... Uh, that they're able to keep perfect time. It's just a huge accomplishment, uh, especially with all the lightweight materials and everything else they do. So fast forward, you know, uh, the launch of the brand, he came up with this really unique design. It's very striking. He went to Art Basel to announce it and to start showing people. And he wasn't like displaying an Art Basel, but he was the talk of the town because what he would do is he would go around with a Turbion watch. One of the first ones he did was a Turbion. And I talk about the Turbion in the Paddock Philippe episode of Talking Toys, so you can go and listen to that and see why the Turbion is A, the most complicated, or one of the most complicated, and B, one of the most expensive complications to put on a watch. So he's taking a watch that's worth, you know, $200,000 plus, made a titanium. You walk up and show, here's my new watch. They go, wow, you're announcing with a Turbion. Yes. It's very complex watchmaking. I'm very proud of it. And here, watch this. It's very, it's very strong. I'll prove it to you. And he take it and just spike it on the ground. Just throw the watch on the ground, which would normally ruin any watch. You know, you could throw a Rolex on the ground and break the movement inside internally from just the shock of it hitting the ground, let alone the case and all these different things. And certainly a Turbion would have no shot for most manufacturers that if you were to throw that thing on the ground, if you were to slam it into something, it's probably going to break the Turbion or at least throw it off. He'd pick it up, dust it off, and the watch would be perfectly fine. <laughs> Something most of the time it wouldn't even get a scratch anywhere because he's using these, you know, highly resistant materials like titanium and whatnot. So that really got him a reputation for making an incredibly complicated yet robust watch and got him to be the talk of the town, kind of some viral marketing there in the watch community where they started to embrace and respect this brand new upstart who's coming out of nowhere and trying to shake up the watchmaking world. I mean, normally, you know, you want a storied brand if you're gonna spend all this money on a watch, right? So here's a guy who's coming in with no uh, history on his brands. So like Patek Philippe is around since what, like the 1800s, maybe 1700s, something crazy like that. You know, Breguet's 1800s, uh, Rolex has been around for well over a century. So all these storied story brands are commanding $20,000, $30,000, $50,000, $100,000 of some of their rarer watches. Well, here's a guy who's coming in at $100,000 plus with a brand new watch design, a brand new company, no history, and a Turbion with that with a wild design that is very atypical and just shaking up the whole world. And everyone's going, oh, this is going to flop. Who's going to pay for these watches X, Y, Z? And in fact, people did. You know, They paid this huge premium for this new brand. It got very popular. He did the right marketing with the right athletes and made some really smart choices. And the brand is blown up. It's enjoyed a lot of particular success since 2017. It kind of got very popular uh, as a sign of wealth with the nouveau rich. You know, you'd see it on people's watches. Like when I vacationed in Greece a couple years back and you're in some of these like day clubs and stuff like that and these exclusive restaurants, you'd see families wearing them of like very successful businessmen, you know, kind of became synonymous with extreme wealth. Um, see a lot of people embrace them who are in the rich and famous ranks, especially athletes like Odell Beckham famously wore uh, one of the chronographs during a football game and got fined for it. And uh, uh, rappers started talking about him and icing him out with diamonds and all this crazy stuff. So it really came on the scene. Now, you know, you hear in rap lyrics all the time about Richard Mills, you know, Richard, you know, uh, 
you hear Drake talk about Drake famously has a huge Richard Mule collection, some of the very exclusive Richard Mules, kind of fun ones they made over the years and stuff like that. So the brand is really blown up. Most people are familiar with it who are into watches now. It's kind of the most extreme, expensive, and crazy watch designs, but also something that's very heralded and very respected in the watch community. Although there's a huge arguments about their value and whether they're really worth it, quote unquote. Now, are they really worth it? They're incredibly uh, rare. If you walk into a Richard Mule boutique, they probably won't sell you any of their watches that are less than like $400,000. So it's almost like you have to walk, walk in and spend an absorbent amount of money to get into some of their uh, bigger models to get some of their more desirable models. Like they won't sell you like an 1103 even though that watch retails for like over $130,000 or something like that. Now they'd raise the price uh, in the basic titanium. So even though it's a $130,000 watch, even if you're willing to spend $130,000 on the watch, they're not going to sell it to you. And that's a crazy fact of Richard Meal. They're just that sought after and that unique. So uh, they're, they're very hard to get. They're very exclusive. Most of the time they sell for a premium, even used. You, know, you can see a used watch sell for 50% more than the list price, even though the list price is starting huge. So they're very sought after, very hard to get. So this watch I'm talking about today is the RM7201. And it's significant because to date, at least for most of the movements that I'm aware of, they've partnered with uh, uh, an out, they basically have outsourced the production of the internals of the watch. They collaborate with them and help them design these different movements, but they've, they haven't designed them quote unquote in house. And that's one of the big cuts, the big boys, you know, that if you're going to be a respected watchmaker, making your own movement in house is one of those big cuts. Do you design the whole movement from start to finish? Very difficult to do. It takes a lot of engineering, a lot of manufacturing prowess. And this is the first time that they've done an in-house chronograph anyways. And it's the first one I'm aware of for the whole brand. I might be wrong about that, but this is a very significant watch. If it is the very first in-house movement, it'll be hugely collectible, even if it's just the first in-house chronograph. So this is a watch that if you can get your hands on it at retail, I can almost guarantee you it's going to be worth double, triple, maybe more in 10 years from today. So it's a great investment watch, probably. And a very significant watch because it's them taking their movement in-house, which is significant for the whole brand. And especially if they continue to do that going forward, which makes sense for them now that they have this scale and this popularity and success, then uh, um, you, you may see this being a very significant, very collectible watch. It has a very unique face. So what's cool about this watch is it has three different dials for the chronograph. So rather than, you know, most chronographs are like they take the place of the second hand and sweep around the outside with some sub dials for hours or minutes, sometimes just minutes, uh, depending on the chronograph. This one has a seconds, hours, and uh, min or sorry, seconds, minutes, and hours sub dial. So three sub dials that display the chronograph, which is like a timekeeping function. And then it, it uh, has a really unique display of time. So rather than having like tick marks at each hour or like numbers at each hours, like, like uh, Arabic numerals, like some of these watches will, it only has 11, three and eight. So it only has three numbers on the face of the watch for showing what hour it is. Now, of course you can kind of tell where it is uh, depending on where the hour hand is. Like, you know, six is directly across from 12 and that's right after 11. So it kind of helps, you, you know, you can tell what's going on in the watch for sure. It's intuitive to read nonetheless, but it's missing all of its hour markers. Uh, or really I should say out Arabic numerals for all the hour. It has these little markers along the outside of the watch where you can see each hour interval, but uh, it's a very unique design that way. It's pretty bold and they're known for their bold watch design. So. There you have it. It's a beautiful watch, in my opinion. I really, really like this. They've redesigned the side of it and changed the pushers for the start, stop, and flyback function. It's a flyback chronograph, which is also very significant. That's very expensive. And uh, uh, it, it, it's just a beautiful watch. I mean, it keeps the classic shape of Richard Mille, the Turbion shape, uh, or the Turneau shape. Sorry, I say Turbion, the Turneau shape. But it's a... Uh, um, 
gorgeous in this rose gold they announced it in, which I think is kind of bold too, to do a lifestyle material like rose gold rather than a performance material, right? Um, boy, it's just, it is gorgeous. And it is a, a very significant watch. You know, it has a unique design, a unique movement in it. And although it's just a flyback chronograph, it doesn't have too many other complications. It's retailing for an eye-popping $188,000. So you won't be able to buy it for that. It's going to sell for a huge premium above that unless you've bought three to five watches from them. You're probably not going to get your hands on one of these. Uh, unfortunately, they're going to be very exclusive and very hard to get. So even if you have the money, you're probably not going to get to, to buy it for that. You probably have to pay two hundred fifty dollars to $300,000 in pretty short order when you start seeing them on uh, the secondhand market and like chrono24.com and stuff like that. Man, this is a beautiful watch. They really knocked out the design. They talk about the romance. If you go to the website, they talk about the romance of time and how this is uniquely displayed on here. They talk about the significance of it uh, being their first in-house uh, movement. So it's the caliber CRM C1. So it's a skeletonized movement with automatic bi-directional winding in hours, minutes, small seconds, date, flyback chronograph, function indicator, and stop seconds. So a function indicator shows whether the watch is winding uh, or if it's fully wound, it goes to like a neutral where when, the, when you're moving the watch on your wrist, it's not actually winding. So that's really unique and significant as well. Man, it is gorgeous, guys. I'd really encourage you to pop over my Instagram to the Blackwood Show and check out a picture of this thing or go to Richard Mill and type, or even just Google and type in Richard Mill 72-01. You'll be blown away by this design. It's really, really gorgeous. It's definitely calling of the brand. And I think it's unique enough to be significant as their first in-house chronograph. It's very different than the 11, the RM11, uh, which is their old series chronograph that they use with that out-of-house movement from Audemars Piguet. But they... Uh, uh, have done just a brilliant job of making it unique, but still staying true to the brand. So I'm a huge fan of the way this looks. Uh, power reserve, 50 hours. That's really impressive. Um, you know, it's a flyback chronograph with oscillating pinions, which is a patented mechanism. Boy, this thing's just gorgeous. Scrolling through pictures here, they show it all, like the inner workings and how they're assembling it. And man, every little piece of this is a work art. Every piece is perfectly shaped, perfectly attached. It has all those custom screws I mentioned earlier as mounting points in the watch. It is just gorgeous from every angle. High polish, unique designs. It is a work of art inside and out. And the mechanism for engaging the chronograph is exposed in this picture here. It's just gorgeous, guys. You really ought to check it out. I love the fonts they use. They use really cool fonts for like the, the numerals and things like this. Uh, and if you get up close on these washers, there's a lot of detail, a lot of uh, applied markers, a lot of uh, uh, applied um, design to it, especially every place that there's a, an indicator, a number. I mean, you could get a loop and spend hours, days even looking at this watch. It's that beautiful. So it's a really significant one. I'd love to hear your guys' feedback. Check it out. You know, you can see the picture, like I said, on my Instagram or else in... Uh, um, uh, the, uh, you know, Richard Mill website itself, Richard Mill's a very unique brand. If you don't, aren't familiar with it, I encourage you to hop on, poke around their website, uh, poke around some articles. I really like, uh, like Hodinkee for reading about, uh, watches, a blog to watch is also pretty good. And you can read reviews on Richard Mills. You can learn why they're unique and kind of see the controversy and see the opinions around them. This is a watch I really like. I, I would aspire to own one of these for sure. Like I said, I think it's going to be collectible in the Richard Mille brand. I think it's going to go down as a very significant watch. And it's going to be a very desirable watch either way because of the status symbol of having a Richard Mille 
and uh, the, the uniqueness of this design. I think it's really, really cool. I think it's going to be both a male and a female watch. It's displayed on their website with both male and female models. The man's wearing the rose gold version, whereas the woman's wearing the white gold version, which has rose gold on the side plates. And it's gorgeous as well. Their white gold is very polished and unique looking. And white gold gets a cool patina to it. If you ever own something that's white gold, it ages really, really well. Like I have some necklaces and uh, rings and uh, bracelet. They're white gold. Actually, one of my watches has some white gold features on it. It patinas really, really well, meaning that like it wears in and it has like a different quality to it than any other metal. It's very soft and warm feeling when it's done well. And the white gold on Richard Mills is really, really impressive. So I'm impressed by this watch. I'm a big fan. Um, I would definitely aspire to own one of these. Like I said, it would have to be something pretty significant happened in my life for me to be able to A, afford one, but B, pull the trigger on one and allocate this much money to a watch. But boy, talk about an aspiration piece. And sometimes those are fun to have, right? To get on. And even if your aspiration piece is, you know, a quote unquote entry level watch, like a Seiko or something like that. I think that's a really cool thing to have those aspiration things and, and to mark occasions in your career and in your life with something that's timeless. <laughs> no pun intended, although it keeps time, but it's timeless, right? And and you, something that's a family heirloom, something you can be proud of and wear every day and enjoy yourself, but pass on to your kids one day. Patek Philippe, as a side note, did some really brilliant marketing where they said, you never truly own a Patek Philippe. You merely take care of it for the next generation. <laughs> Talk about a great way to get people to part with more of their money is the idea that you're buying this for generations of your people and, and all the callings of your grandchildren wearing one of these and the extra value in that. But I mean, genius marketing campaign, but there's a lot of truth to it too. You know, it, it, the only thing cooler than a new watch is an old watch. And I think that holds true for all these different brands. So yeah, drop me a line. Let me know what you think. You know, uh, comment on the Instagram post, send me an email at the blackwood show at gmail.com. I'd love to know what you think. I'd also love to know what you guys want me to review. You know, if you like uh, the talking toys segment, I'd love some more ideas for what to talk about. I really like AV equipment, video games, cars. I love watches obviously are the, what I've done so far on these episodes. So if there's something specific you want to hear about or a cool item, particularly something that was just announced. So it's extra interesting to the, the listeners and you guys can kind of learn about something new that's out there. Uh, send me an email. Let me know something that you think is unique, but thanks for listening. I know there's a lot of great ways to get in, entertained out there, not the least of which are a bunch of great podcasts. So thank you for the time to listen. To, thank you for taking the time to listen to little old me. Talk at you soon.